0: WDBM, East Lansing.
1: Welcome to the Sci-Files, an Impact 89 FM series focusing on student research here at Michigan State University. We're your co-hosts Chelsea Boodoo
0: and Daniel Puentes.
1: Hey Danny, have you ever gotten a fake email before?
0: Yeah, every now and then I'll see them pop up in my inbox at work.
1: Some of these fake emails can have malicious content in them or software whenever you click on it. Today we're here with Pranshu Bajpai to talk about his research on ransomware. Pranshu, can you please introduce yourself for us?
2: I am a PhD candidate in the Department of Computer Science and Engineering. My research group, which is the security research group, focuses on uh, security issues uh, that are trending. Our current focus right now is on ransomware, which is a kind of a virus which uh, puts a lock on your files.
0: Thanks for joining us today, Pranju. Could you explain a little bit more about what ransomware is and why it's really bad for our computers?
2: Sure. In the past, what we observed was that viruses mainly were a way for people to have fun, right? They made copies of themselves. They slowed your computer down, but they didn't actually serve any financial interests uh, for the cyber criminals. But now cyber uh, criminals are financially motivated. There's a whole underground industry Uh, which wants to make money off of your computer and what they do for that purpose is they put a lock on your files such that only they hold a unique key that can unlock your computer so imagine your house was infiltrated by somebody and in your absence they put a lock on the door and next time you're trying to get into your computer uh, they're now asking you for a few hundred dollars let's say to allow you access to your own house
1: Wow, that really sucks. There's no way that people can get into those files even with possibly another key? Or can you break that lock?
2: That's a great question, Chelsea. So no, there's no way to get access to these files without contacting the cyber criminals and obtaining the unique key that was used to encrypt or lock these files. Because these are military grade standard encryption algorithms. They're time tested. And there's no way that anybody can help you once the files are locked.
0: How does your security laboratory study these ransomware viruses? Are they creating the ransomware in the laboratory? And then are you testing the strength of the encryptions? Or are you testing the ability to actually break these encryptions?
2: The answer is both. We have uh, real-world samples of ransomware that we acquire from communities. There's malware researchers. Uh, Malware, by the way, is malicious software, uh, which ransomware is. So there's malware researchers who share malware samples caught in the wild. And once we have access to those samples in our lab, we will tear them apart. We'll do an, uh, we'll do a deep analysis of what makes that ransomware uh, s- such a big problem and whether or not there exists a way for us to decrypt the files without paying the ransom or unlocking the files without paying the ransom. Sometimes it's possible, It didn't put the lock on correctly. However, most of the times when they do it right, there's no way to get around that.
1: Whenever you're getting these samples of malware from other people, how are you looking at it? Is it through a specific software or do you need to have a certain thing on your computer to be able to do this?
2: There's tools that we use in our research lab that are uh, used to look at uh, binaries, as we call them, or executables. So once we have the malware, we have it in its finished form. We do not have the source code that uh, that the malware developer has that was used to create this malware. That means that we have to reverse engineer it or we have to use tools that allow us to look in deep into its guts without having the, the source code. And so yes, there are tools that exist that allow us to do that. Tools can only uh, show you so much though So we need to do a lot of manual analysis so that we can look deep into what the ransomware really is doing.
0: It's one thing to attempt to reverse engineer these different computational viruses, but then how do you test whether or not the model that you created is actually the same thing that you were studying in the wild?
2: What we do is we create uh, virtual environments, as we call them, and these are uh, virtual labs or Fake labs where we execute these viruses. And what happens is that the virus actually executes or the ransomware actually executes in a contained environment where we can study its dynamic behavior. So think about infecting a test subject with the virus and observing the behavior of that entity from that point forward. So we have a way to do this um, securely. And uh, that's how First, when we do the reverse engineering and we read the code, um, or we read what is known as assembly code, and we gain an understanding of how the ransomware works, we then verify it by actually executing it in a dynamic virtual protected environment and observing if the behavior matches our understanding. That way, we know for sure that we have gained the right understanding of the ransomware.
1: Whenever you use these virtual rooms, How can you be sure that the virus won't get out of the virtual rooms and into the computers that you're using to conduct these studies?
2: So we make sure that the ransomware doesn't break out of this contained environment, first of all, we disconnect it from any public network or private network, such that the ransomware never has a chance to infect or break out. Next thing we ensure is that the software that we're using to conduct this virtual lab is up to date and there's no vulnerabilities in the software that the ransomware could exploit and break out of it to infect the host
0: to stay on topic of security why do certain firewall blockers or security softwares not work against these different
2: ransomware malware viruses what happens is that your antivirus software is designed to look for known behavior of a ransomware or a virus in general these are known as static signatures of previously known threats. But because new ransomware are being created in the underground malicious ransomware industry every day, your antivirus is not equipped to identify those new threats.
1: What's nice about today's technology is that we have ways to store our data as backups. For example, we have USB drives, we have clouds and stuff like that. Whenever we have these backups, are they also being attacked whenever this ransomware is occurring?
2: Yes, so backups can save you if they're properly maintained and implemented. However, with ransomware success recently, we know in the previous decade, ransomware has been hugely successful for financially motivated uh, cybercriminals. And that shows us that backups weren't in place. If they were in place, they weren't implemented properly. The first thing a ransomware will do once it infects your computer is look for any kind of backups you have. Your, uh, For example, a Windows computer is... Maintaining what are known as volume shadow copies or transparent backups in the in the background without your uh, without your knowledge. However, ransomware will look to explicitly purge those backups, then it will move on to look for any backups in your network. And if it finds any, it's going to encrypt those or remove those as well. So One thing about a backup is you need to properly protect it. And then the next thing is they should be frequent enough and accessible when needed. That means if you have a backup that was taken three days ago and the ransomware hits now, you will lose three days worth of data. So they need to be taken frequently enough.
0: You ran these different tests with these different species of malware and ransomware that you have within your computational and virtual environments. But what exactly were you trying to answer with these tests? What question were you trying to figure out?
2: Ultimately, our research is looking for the answer of whether we're able to decrypt the files encrypted by these ransomware without paying the cyber criminals. And we actually did find the answer to this question. The answer is yes. Ransomware is encrypting files or putting a lock on the files on your computer. Because you control that computer, you're able to observe the ransomware while it's doing it and make a copy of the key. So my earlier analogy of somebody walking into uh, your house and then putting a lock on your house and then asking you money to let you back in, following that analogy, we're now placing a guard next to your door or in your house who's always keeping watch on any signs of malicious activity or a malicious person looking to put a lock on your On your house, when the guard observes that this happens, they're going to make a copy of the key such that they can return you that key or they can provide you access to that key when you need it without having to pay the ransomware developer.
1: Thanks for that explanation. Something that has me curious now that you've mentioned these cyber criminals is who are these people like do you have to be a specific profession or are there companies doing this like who are these cyber criminals?
2: There's a whole industry underground. There has always been uh, the dark web. And within the dark web, there's a lot of uh, nefarious entities. And the particular entity that troubles us the most in this scenario is a group of very financially motivated cyber criminals who have a reputation in the underground for creating ransomware and then using that to attack organizations, people, really everybody. In the underground, these relationships work similar to how, for example, eBay would operate. There's a vendor selling the software. In this case, it would be a malicious ransomware software. A vendor who's good with programming will sell the software. And there are then buyers for the software who will buy this ransomware and then use that to attack people. So there's groups of uh, people. It's a very synergistic environment where everybody focuses on their skills. Somebody is very good at writing the malware. Somebody is very good at operating the malware and infecting people with it. And so overall, the effect is that we, we are having constant attacks on private and public organizations alike
0: It sounds like working in this
2: kind of field would
0: be a really complicated job. And I'm curious about how much does ransomware make whenever these computers are infected by the different attackers?
2: There's different systems in place in the underground. It's highly developed. I uh, remember seeing a ransomware that was on sale in an underground community for about $39. So that's how cheap uh, you can buy the software. But that software it depends on how many how much that software sells certain vendors who are selling these ransomware will make a lot of money because they have uh, a lot of trust points and hence people trust them more and buy more software from them on the other hand there's also more expensive uh, software so in this case you will have uh, a ransomware that's much more expensive, however, is guaranteed to work a lot better when you're going and attacking people. Then there's the secondary system where where there's affiliate systems in place such that you don't have to pay uh, the entire, it's not a one-time payment that you make to the vendor. You can buy it on the promise that once you infect a bunch of people and you have a certain income coming in, you will kick back a percentage of that profit to the ransomware developer. Of course, these things are formalized and maintained in such a way that nobody can, no entity can back out of this agreement. They're actually making a lot of money. Uh, that is because the, ransomware, uh, the ransom demands used to be $300 per system. So for every system that they have infected, they used to ask for, let's say, $300 to decrypt the files on that particular system but over time as the cyber crime underground has advanced and the ransomware developers and operators have advanced they're now attacking entire organizations and encrypting files on hosts on multiple hosts in uh, an organization and because of that because of that leverage that they have they're able to extract millions of dollars make demands of millions of dollars and able to extract millions of dollars in ransom for example uh, a ransom uh, demand of five million dollars is common today if they're able to uh, infiltrate the organization that deeply
1: whenever the ransomware infects these computers do people normally pay it and if they do pay it is there a way that then their bank account can be hacked too
2: so the payment is done via cryptocurrencies uh, therefore, there is no direct connection which would allow the ransomware developer to also get access to your bank. There's no link there, unless you use the attacked computer to make to sign into your bank and then make the payment from there, which is uh, which is ill-advised. Once that computer has been attacked by ransomware or any kind of malware, uh, you do not want to pr- perform any bank transactions on it. Uh, however, They do ask that you buy a certain amount of cryptocurrencies, either on that computer or some other computer, and then pay it using these cryptocurrency channels. Going into your other question regarding whether people pay it, it differs. While we advise people to not pay the ransom since it uh, invigorates the ransomware underground, and it gives them more funds for research and coming up with a better attack next time, sometimes that is the only option. Um, If you do not have backups of your data and the uh, the data that they're holding for hostage is that important to you. In those cases, we have seen organizations pay.
0: It's unfortunate that a lot of these people suffer from getting these attacks on their computers. What can people do to prevent these attacks in the future to avoid this kind of issue?
2: So there's preventative measures that you can take. And then there is reactive measures that you can take. In terms of prevention, you want to make sure that the ransomware doesn't get in in the first place. So there's some common uh, security advice. For example, keep your antivirus updated. What that will do is it will look for signs of previously recognized ransomware. They will not uh, protect you against the new threats. However, it will protect you against known threats that have been previously seen. So that's one way of uh, protecting yourself. Second is to always update your computer uh, because updates are issued when uh among other things there's security issues observed uh by let's say Windows or Mac os in that case, you are protecting yourself from ransomware that are looking to exploit these known vulnerabilities in the operating system, therefore all software operating systems should be updated at your on, on on your computer third and uh this is another important one is. Uh, most, like most malware, ransomware will also use phishing emails. That is when they're pretending, when they send an email to somebody and they're pretending to be an entity that they're not, and they'll, they're looking for you to either download an attachment and execute it on your computer or click, an, uh, click a malicious link. In those cases, training and awareness is very important so that uh, the user knows how to recognize signs of uh, a malicious phishing email. So those are some preventative tactics. But as a reaction to ransomware, if, you, if the prevention fails, then you should have backups on your computer. If you're just uh, an individual, then it might help if you have a cloud client always backing up your important files on the cloud. And this cloud should have a version history so, th- so that once the ransomware encrypts and those encrypted files are then put on your cloud, we should be able to go back in the versions of those files and fi- find the unencrypted versions and restore using that version history. So it's important to maintain regular backups.
1: Thanks a lot for talking to us about that. I think it's really cool and intriguing. To the people listening about this, that find it intriguing too, and especially for a potential career in the future. Do you have any advice for them?
2: We in our group, in the security research group at MSU are already training a uh, undergrads and other fellow grad students on how to go about conducting this sort of research. Um, but the, the best way is to join uh, a group that is already conducting this research and is somewhat experienced because dealing with a malware can be uh, you, you might end up infecting yourself in that. So because of that, it's important to learn it from a proper channel before trying it yourself. And CTFs or capture the flag challenges, as we call them, is another way to learn. So what capture the flag challenges are are a bunch of. Security challenges that are designed around the concepts that you would need. To learn before you can go about disassembling or dissecting real world malware. So that's a safe way to start. Other than that, you need uh, the normal computer and uh, information, uh, information sciences experience before you, can, uh, uh, y- before you can go about seeking a career in this field.
0: That's great advice, Panchu, thank you. And thank you for joining us today to talk to us about your research.
2: Thank you for having me, it was a lot of fun.
0: The Sci-Files is hosted by Chelsea Boodoo and Daniel Puentes for Impact 89FM. Thank you to our news director, Sophie Sagan, Program Director Amber Kanutsky, Station Manager Joe Dandrin, and General Manager Jeremy Whiting.
1: This show, as well as the entire Impact 89FM podcast lineup, can be found online at impact89fm.org or by searching for the Sci-Files on your favorite podcast directory. If you're an MSU student and want to be featured on the Sci-Files, or if you have any questions, you can contact us at scifiles at impact89fm.org.
0: See you next week on the Sci-Files. Thanks for listening, and remember, the truth is in the science.